Welcome to the Columbia Church Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, it is so wonderful to be in the house of the Lord with you all this morning. Would you go ahead and bow your heads and pray with me one more time? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning just in awe of who you are. God, you are good and what you do is good. Lord, we ask that you would move in this place this morning. God, that we would be transformed by the word that we will read together. God, that you would work in our hearts and in our lives. God, we ask that, Lord, whatever is of me would just fall on deaf ears. God, whatever it is of you, Lord, won't you allow to change us? Won't you allow to move us forward, to move and act in this world as well? Lord, we love you. We trust you. We pray these things in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Chris was absolutely right. I am from Texas. I am going to say y'all a lot this morning. That's just who I am. Just going to have to get used to it. If you don't like it, you can email me later this week. Um, But I am from Texas, and my dad was in the Air Force, and so we moved back and forth all the time. We were used to going to one place, being taken to another, and I just think it's really incredible. You know, nine years I was sitting in those pews that you're in now, and to be up here preaching God's word, I would never have imagined it. I would never imagine that God would leave me back here in this way. But God is so good and faithful and powerful to do things that we don't even expect. And so I just think that is such an honor and a privilege to do that here with you this morning. But like I said, my dad was in the Air Force, so we went and we came. But the one thing that always remained true was our Texas roots. And so we would live there sporadically. We would go back to visit family and friends here and there. And it was really awesome because we would gather, we'd get everything ready. We'd talk about how excited we were to go back home. And we would, we would talk about all the things that we had missed. We'd get our cowboy hats and our cowboy boots. Okay, maybe just my dad. Not all Texans wear cowboy boots and cowboy hats, just my family. And so we would gather all of our stuff when we would cross the border into Texas. The first place we went was Whataburger, and if you've ever been, you know why. And yes, all the cheers for Whataburger. And we go and we would take that first bite, and there was just this chorus of mmms across the table. And it was so exciting to be back, to go back to our roots. And so we had this joy and anticipation of going back home because there was always this end goal of one day we would go and we would get to stay and we wouldn't have to come back. And so this morning we are going to continue the series that Jim kicked us off with last week, which is Head for the Hills, where we're studying the Psalms of Ascent as the people of Israel would go up to the city of Jerusalem to worship on the high holy days. They would prepare their hearts in these songs. And so we want to prepare our hearts for worship as well. And so this morning, as we've read already, we are going to be in Psalm 122. And this is a song that captures the joy and the hope of God's people as they both anticipate and realize the experience of being in God's presence. In this psalm, you will notice experience, the experience of the psalmist, the emotions and the feelings. And so as I read it for us again, would you put yourself on that road to Jerusalem? Will you imagine yourself going up to the city? You're getting ready to be in God's presence. You're with your family and your friends. What was it like to be on that road? Intentionally step into the presence of God with me and let me read for us. 
I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together, and that is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statutes given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and my friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Do you feel that buzz of excitement, that joy of the psalmist? We sense the psalmist both getting ready and then actually arriving in Jerusalem to worship. And I ask, where is that place for you? Where is that place that gets you really excited to go? Maybe you're like me and it's going back to a hometown where your family is, you know, where you're from, where your roots are. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's being with a really specific person or going to a vacation spot. Maybe it's Disney World. Maybe it is some national monument or cool site that you've seen one time. Where is that place that gets you excited and rejoices? My sister and I have always been theater people. Um, that should not be a shock if you talk to me for more than maybe five seconds, as Chris mentioned. I love drama. Uh, I majored in it in, in undergrad. And so we have always loved Broadway musicals. That's just kind of our thing. In fact, the last time I was on this stage was in Jingle in the City when I was here nine years ago in the Christmas musical. If you were here, you saw 16-year-old Kaylin um, dressed up in, as an orphan, like really tall with these overalls. It was interesting. Um, but I, I love drama. I love Broadway musicals. So our family would always take us to New York. Here and there, we had a couple family members who would take us there, and we just loved it. So you can imagine that when we lived here, the only thing we wanted to do was go see Broadway musicals because New York is just a couple hours away. And so you can imagine the excitement and anticipation my sister and I had when on Christmas morning, our parents presented us with the train tickets and the Broadway show musicals. We probably could have jumped a hole in the floor. We were so excited. And there were just squeals that went supersonic. I'm sure that made my parents' ears so happy. And, and so we get there. We get to New York. We step off the train. We get into Times Square. And we are just in we are in the place where so many people have come before. Celebrities, famous people, important people. We're seeing the buildings, the city that never sleeps, the lights, the diversity of people, the collection of food, the smells, good and bad. And we're standing there, and it is wonderful. Where is that place for you? Where is the place that gets you excited? For the psalmist, that place is the presence of God. 
And this passage might seem like the city of Jerusalem itself is being celebrated and being praised. But what you need to know contextually is that Jerusalem was considered to be the place where the presence of God rested. And, you know, over the, time, over, over the years, the people would go up to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was in the temple, and that's where they would intentionally step into the presence of God. Now, by the time you get to the book of Ezekiel and some of the later prophets— they kind of tease out and, and help the people of Israel understand that the presence of God is actually where the people of God are. It's not so much the place. But for our purposes this morning, it's important to know that our psalmist is fundamentally talking about rejoicing in the anticipation and the realization of being in God's presence. And so I wonder, do we have this anticipation and rejoicing for worship and stepping into God's presence? If we're honest, the answer is often no. You know, we, we live in this age of hyper-individualism and technology and these things where we can snap our fingers and instantly be seemingly satisfied, this instant gratification. And so we no longer have this desire to engage with the Holy Spirit when we can just press a button and consume sermon content. We no longer feel like we have to step into worship with our community because our schedules are too busy. There's a soccer game. There's a tournament. There's a performance. There's rehearsals. There's thing after thing after thing that occupies our time. And we can just watch it, you know, whenever we want to. We get desensitized to God's presence in this age, and we don't gather. And now, especially after COVID, we often miss that joyful experience of intentionally stepping into God's presence and doing it with our community the way God designed. But the presence of God produces communal rejoicing and hope. And so let's together unpack our text and see how the psalmist is preparing the heart for worship and how we can do the same thing. So in your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Psalm 122. And we're going to be in verses 1 and 2 to start out this morning. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. The presence of God turns our songs to rejoicing. There's rejoicing in the presence of God. It produces joy. And rejoicing happens in the anticipation of stepping into God's presence. Look at how the psalmist experiences joy even before they arrive in Jerusalem. And maybe you're reading this verse with maybe a more stodgy tone, you know, let us go into the house of the Lord, and it's a little more wooden. That's not how the psalmist intends it at all. So I'm going to give us a 2023 uh, translation of what I think this verse really sounds like. Here we go. I was so pumped when my fam said, come on, let's go. And I said, where are we going? Duh, to go worship God. Oh yeah. I think that is a lot closer to what the psalmist is getting at. So my question is, do we rejoice in the anticipation of stepping into God's presence to worship? Because our rejoicing is contingent 
on our expectations. What we expect to happen directly influences the posture of our hearts. And we aren't going to experience joy if we don't expect something to happen. Think about if, if someone wasn't telling you how amazing the next Marvel movie was going to be, why would you want to go see it? Everyone builds up these anticipations. You know, when you go to see that next superhero movie, or maybe you're not into superheroes and it's something else, but everyone around you is, is building this excitement. You're reading the reviews and you're looking at it on social media. And so by the time you get into the theater, you are so excited because you know it's going to be great. You have expectations for that movie to be awesome. And worship, stepping into worship is the same way. What do we expect to happen when we step into the presence of God? Do you expect the Holy Spirit to move? Do you expect to be transformed? We serve a mighty God. We worship a powerful God who is able to do all more than we can ask or imagine. But we often get bogged down with life's mundaneness. And, and we stop looking for the mighty ways that God can move and transform our lives. But God gave us imaginations and brains to contemplate the ways that God can move in our lives and these magnificent possibilities. And this holy imagination allows us to rejoice, knowing that God is faithful to bring hope and transformation to our hearts and lives. And so rejoicing happens in the anticipation, but rejoicing also happens in the realization of being in God's presence. So look back with me at verse 2. It says, Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. They are there. The psalmist and all the people with the psalmist are, are arriving. They are standing there, and everything that they've been anticipating, everything they've been dreaming of and looking forward to is finally in front of their eyes, and it does not disappoint. And I want to be really careful not to lose you here, because I know the truth is that sometimes in our life, we face disappointment. We have big expectations, and we pray, and we ask God to do something really big, to move, and we arrive, and we feel like God is silent. And so we're disappointed. And the truth is that this can leave us feeling rejected. It can make us feel hopeless, certainly lacking joy or a desire to be with God. But what if we're approaching the presence of God from the wrong angle? What if instead of looking for how God is going to move that perfectly aligns with what our expectations are, that perfectly aligns with what we think God should do, because you know we know everything, right? What if instead of looking in this way, we were content with just being with God? That we rejoiced in simply dwelling and being in the presence of God, because the presence of God is sufficient to transform us. Do you believe that? Don't get me wrong. God is powerful to move the mountains and to heal the impossible illness and to transform the heart of stone. But sometimes God's answer to our prayers is be still and know that I am God. 
Or as Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Being in God's presence alone is worthy of our rejoicing because God is faithful to transform us, even in the silence, even in the way that we don't expect God to move. God wants to just be with us. Do we want to be with God? Do we look forward to being with God? Do we rejoice when we are with God, or are we distracted by all the other things going on in our lives? This psalm pushes us to eagerly and joyfully step into God's presence and stand in wonder of who God is and say, we are here. And it does not disappoint. And what is so incredible about this psalm is that God brings rejoicing and the presence of God produces rejoicing, but not individually as a community. This is a communal song of rejoicing. So look with me again at our passage starting in verse 3. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. So the presence of God produces joy, and the presence of God draws us into community. And worship unites us in this eternal identity and story. And one of the coolest things about the entire book of Psalms is that it is a collection of songs and expressions of faith from an entire group of people for the purpose of collectively understanding who they are and what their identity is, their whole history. It is a collection of hymns and and songs and praises and struggles and curses and everything in between because the people of Israel have a really complicated history that produces some pretty complicated emotions, and we can certainly understand that and relate to that. And the book of Psalms was compiled and arranged very intentionally to help the people of God understand who they are, where they came from, and where they are going, and then to pass that down to the next generation. And so it's this continual telling of their history as they go up to praise that goes from generation to generation, reminding them of their identity as the children of God, worshipers of Yahweh. And this psalm, the psalm of ascent that we're reading, is no different. The psalmist says, let us go. Our feet are standing in your gates. And so this is a community action being communicated here. And when we see in in this verse that the psalmist is talking about the tribes, this takes us all the way back to Genesis with the creation of the 12 tribes. And there's identity found with the people of God in whatever tribe they're a part of. But if you read the Old Testament, and I hope you do because there's some wild stuff in there, but they, they have this identity according to their tribe. And that can cause a little bit of um, tension between some of them. We know when we are identified by groups, sometimes there's a, a little bit of tension between them. But the psalmist doesn't divide them in this psalm. He identifies them by saying they are the tribes of the Lord. 
They're united in their praise of God, of belonging to God. They sing the songs and the other pilgrim songs, which are the Psalms of Ascent, together to remind themselves and each other of God's presence and activity throughout their history. And worship does the same thing for us. It reminds us where we've been, where we're going, and who we are. Where have we been? We have been trapped and enslaved by sin and in brokenness. Where are we going? We are going to have eternity with Jesus Christ when we put our faith and trust in him. Who are we? We are children of God. And when we worship, we are united with the body of Christ. Those who came before, who come after, who are with us, who are not with us, Christians globally, Christians locally. The presence of God draws us into community. And when we worship, we worship together. One of my favorite theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German theologian, and he created a secret seminary in Nazi Germany. And he writes in the book Life Together, which is an amazing book about community and an action together as the community, he writes that we need each other. We need another person to speak grace to us because we won't speak grace to ourselves. And I know that's true of me. I tell myself lies all the time. And we need other people to tell us of God's love. And think about how that's true. Someone told you the gospel. Someone proclaimed the good news to you. Maybe it was in Sunday school, a Sunday school teacher, a preschool teacher. Maybe it was from the pulpit or at vacation Bible school or at youth camp or a roommate in college, but it was someone, someone spoke the truth to you. And so we need other people to walk hand in hand with us to the foot of the cross so we know where to go and they know where to go. I was talking to one of uh, my former professors at seminary this past week. Her name is Dr. Rebecca Poe Hayes, and she is an incredible psalm scholar, and she knows lots of things, and I know very little things. And so I asked her to help me out as I'm, as I'm studying this passage. And she said something, and it was really simple, but I thought it was really profound. I want to share it with you. She said that we help each other worship. And that is why they go up to Jerusalem together— and that is why we pray, Our Father. And Jesus teaches us how to pray, Our Father. So there's no room for individualism in the presence of God. We need each other. We're designed by God to be in community, and our collective voice is one to be celebrated and united at the same time. And so the presence of God is not found in a place, it's found in the community. Just like I mentioned before with the Israelites, they kind of got this wrong and then they eventually get it right over time. But God goes with the people into exile. He goes with the people into the promised land, to Jerusalem, and on the journey once they arrive there. And I think we fall into this trap very often of associating God with one specific place. We think, oh, I'm going to go into the church building, into the sanctuary, and that's where God is, and then I'm going to go home and God's not there anymore. And so we have this Sunday faith, and we think that God is in a specific place. We think God is associated with a specific organization or conference or fellowship or political opinion or country, but God goes where God's people are. God is not constrained to a place. 
2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is a miraculous act of love for this to be true. Am I right? Amen? For God to send Jesus to die on the cross for this to be true so that we can be made new and be made into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And when we step into worship with others, we intentionally acknowledge that sacrifice of Jesus. And we remind ourselves that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. I've always been a really big fan of Legos. Legos are my absolute favorite thing. I hope for your sake that you know the joy of building a giant Lego set. And if you don't, you should go out after church today and buy a Lego set with your kids and build it. That's right, kids. I said that to your parents. And it's just so cool because you open up this giant set and I, I don't know what set you're building. Maybe it's the, the Death Star from Star Wars. Maybe it's the Lego Hogwarts Castle from Harry Potter. Whatever your brand of nerd, it, it's awesome. And so you open up the package and you have this instruction book that sometimes feels like it's the thickness of an actual Bible. And you open up the little clear packages and if you're like my family, you organize them by color and shape and all this. We have muffin tins that we specifically do this. We're, we're intense with our Legos. But it's so cool because you pick up a brick and you know that this brick is part of the set. It is a Lego, but its purpose, its true identity happens when it is completed in the set. And the whole product is magnificent once everything is put together. And being the nerd that I am, I can't help but think of worshiping with the body of Christ as a giant Lego set because we help each other find our whole identity when we are part of the whole. And Paul writes uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, and he doesn't use an analogy of Legos because they didn't have Legos back then. So we'll forgive Paul for that. I think he would have used Legos as an analogy if, if there had been them back then. But what he says in 1 Corinthians 12 is he writes that we are part of the body of Christ. We all are different. We're, we're separate in our functions. We have different gifts and talents, but we function together to make one body. And so we intentionally step into worship and the presence of God draws us into community. The presence of God produces rejoicing, and we rejoice in anticipation and realization of being in God's presence, and we do so in our community. And the beauty of this psalm is that this rejoicing and remembrance through song not only tells us about the worship of God's people, but it also tells a story of hope. Look one last time with me at our passage, starting in verse 5 to the end. There stand the thrones for judgment— the throne of the house of David. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. The presence of God gives us a hope for the future. And the book of Psalms is a prayer book for God's people as they wait for the messianic king. The book of Psalms is made up of five different books. It's, it's a whole bunch of collections, and they've all been intentionally compiled. And if you read from the beginning to the end, you'll notice this 
arc of change. So starting in the beginning of the book of Psalms, there's this individual lament, this isolation of people, and they are weeping in exile. They're weeping at at their oppression and their sorrow. And over the course of the book of Psalms, we end in communal praise. What was isolated is now together in community. What was lament is now thanksgiving and praise. And that's where we find the Psalms of Ascent. And so as we see, the people of Israel praise God because they have a hope for the future. This prayer, and it's looking forward to a future when God will establish the messianic king that comes from the line of David. And so when we see in this passage that the psalmist is talking about the thrones of judgment, the throne of David, it's like a hyperlink. When you're on the internet and you click on a link and it takes you somewhere else, that's kind of what's happening in this passage. It's nodding to this messianic idea of a future when the world will be whole. And the book of Psalms is a prayer book for exiles, a place to meet with God no matter what else is going on around them, the unrest and the sorrow. And their prayers are forward thinking, hoping and praying for peace, looking towards a time when God will set the Messiah on the throne of David and restore all things. And after the Babylonian exile, the people of Israel never really experience peace again. They are always occupied by a government or a kingdom. And so for them to pray this prayer of peace really is forward thinking because the reality of what they're living in is not peace. And it's easy to feel that way in our world today. Do you feel stressed at the lack of peace in our society. Whether it's locally, it's hard to live at peace with one another, not to mention the global scale. There is injustice and oppression and war and sorrow and upheaval. And this psalm doesn't solve the problem of injustice, unrest. Instead, it teaches us how to pray in the midst of it. Notice the language that the psalmist is using. He implores the people of Israel to pray for what is within Jerusalem. The people, the family, the friends, the house of the Lord, what is within the gates. And the psalmist prays for shalom. Your Bible probably translates it peace or uh, tranquility. It It might translate it prosperity or security. But the Hebrew word here is shalom, and shalom has a grander, deeper meaning than just our understanding of peace. It means wholeness, completeness, to be made right again, for there to be this ease and tranquility. And so the people are praying this over what is within Jerusalem. Jerusalem itself means foundation for peace. The word shalom, the derivative of it, is found in the actual word. So the presence of God draws us to pray and hope for a future where there is peace and wholeness, rest and ease, justice and security. And the good news is that we have the benefit that the psalmist didn't have of knowing that this Messiah that they are looking towards has come and is coming again. When we rejoice in the presence of God, when we worship as a community, when we pray as a people looking forward to a future, we are acknowledging the loving sacrifice of Jesus who makes it possible to stand in the presence of God who teaches us to pray our Father, 
We know that there is a hope for a future because Jesus has given us that hope. And we have the benefit of knowing this Messiah. And we see where our hope lies. And we see it actualized with Jesus on the cross. And we know that Jesus will come again and bring shalom. So do you notice the cycle? The cycle of we anticipate and realize and step into God's presence with our community and rejoice. And we do so forward thinking with hope because of Jesus. And Jesus allows us to step into the presence so we anticipate and rejoice. And it's just a whole big cycle. And our worship and rejoicing is forward looking at the Messiah. It's for us too. This psalm is for us too, for the people of God. And so we intentionally step into God's presence to worship. You know, when my sister and I were getting ready to go to New York, which we were just so excited to do, we, we had that song stuck in our head both before and after. And some of y'all are groaning because I'm about to get it stuck in your head for the rest of the day. But you know that song. And if you know it, you can sing it. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it. New York. Exactly. See, you know it. There's this anticipation and excitement in that song. And we were singing it the entire time. And I really think that if the psalmist was writing today, his psalm would sound a lot like that. Do we have the same anticipation and excitement to step into the place where God is? What if our rejoicing had this same tune? Do we celebrate in this way? Do we spread the news because we're leaving today? Here we are. Do we want to be a part of it? Part of what God is doing. Part of the way the Holy Spirit is moving. Do we have this anticipation and expectation for God to do something? There's nothing specifically holy about that song. It's about New York City. But I thought it was poignant for this morning. Because the presence of God produces communal rejoicing and hope. The presence of God produces communal rejoicing and hope. We rejoice together and we look forward together because of Christ's sacrifice. No matter what turmoil or unrest or struggle we are facing, we go up to God's presence hand in hand with our neighbor, rejoicing as we go, rejoicing as we arrive. And together we pray to Jesus, who is our hope, who gives us peace. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. Lord, and we confess when our lives and our schedules desensitize us to the joy of stepping into your presence, God. Lord, won't you posture our hearts to rejoice in who you are, to know that being with you alone is enough, for you are sufficient for us. God, we want to be with you. We want to be excited when we know that we're going to be with you. We're grateful that we can be with you at all times because of Christ. Lord, allow the word that we've heard this morning to transform us, God, so that we can walk out of this place changed. Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we pray all these things in the name of the Son, who is peace by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Amen.
Kaylin, thank you for a powerful and convicting word. We have a lot to glean on and a lot to chew on from that. And thank you all for being here. When you come, you minister to each other. It's not just the people on stage who lead us in worship, but it's each other who lead us in worship and draw each other into the presence of God, and there we are transformed. So you have an incredible week. Have an awesome Independence Day. And remember, as you go throughout the summer, we'll be here every Sunday. If you're going on vacation this week, we love you. We look forward to seeing you back. Now, as you go, remember, we're all new, all in, and all out. Go ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington the world. Have a blessed week. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro DC area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to columbiabaptist.org. That's columbiabaptist.org.